Hey, this is Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg, and you're listening to the I'm I'm from from Driftwood Driftwood Podcast. A quick favor to ask our listeners before jumping into today's episode. Take a few seconds to leave a five-star rating on the I'm from Driftwood Podcast. More ratings and reviews help the podcast appear in recommendations, which means more people who need to hear all these queer and trans stories will be able to find them more easily. It just takes a few seconds and would make a big difference. All right, now on to today's episode. On today's show, we are talking about children of queer parents. And I just got to say, huge appreciation just for the honesty of kids and when kids just say it exactly how it is. (laughs) On that note, one of the stories we're hearing from today is from Julia. So when I was 10 years old, the summer before my third or before my fourth grade year, my mom came out as gay and my parents got divorced. And at first it was really hard for me. It was like, no but I got over that. It didn't take that long. And I got a lot of questions from people at school and they're like, wait, what's gay? What does that mean? Like I wasn't really equipped to answer the questions coming from other people. And so I kind of, I didn't, I was very uncomfortable through that whole thing. And then I left that school and I switched to public school. And uh, at first I didn't really tell anyone that my mom was gay because I just sort of kept that hush hush because I didn't know what the environment was like at this new school. I didn't know how accepting people were. And slowly it became common knowledge and it wasn't really ever a big deal until a few years ago, my mom got married to my stepmom. That's when sort of the next wave of questions started to come. And it was like, oh wait, so you have a stepmom and a dad and a mom. So is your dad remarried? Wait, I'm confused. So all of my friends are, they're well aware of how my family works, but I have some people who are like acquaintances or not as good friends who are still confused several years after my moms have been married. So one day at lunch, I was eating lunch with my friends um, and this guy came up to me and I mean, I know him, we're not close, but I do know him. He goes, are you gay? Just out of the blue. And I was like, no. And he goes, but your mom is gay. And I was like, yeah, they both are actually. Um, And he goes, wait, how are you not gay then? And I was like, well, she just, she, did, she produced a child. She didn't produce a gay. She actually produced a straight. Um, and they get like very confused and like, wait, so it's not like brown hair? Um, and eventually people started to sort of come to terms with, okay, she has a stepmom and a mom and a dad and they're all a family and I don't quite know how, but that's how it works. Um, and then, uh, 16 months ago, my baby sister was born, and so my stepmom gave birth to her, but my biological mother is equally her mother, and that's when sort of the next wave of questions came, and that, those questions haven't stopped, um, and it was, wait, hold on, how did that happen? You know, there's no, it, it was as if people thought that there was no other way to acquire a child other than Um, you know, a man and a woman mashing their genitals together or adoption. Like those are your two options. Which box do you want? Like for instance, one day um, I was walking down the hall and this girl walked up to me and I'm following her on Instagram. I know her name and that's pretty much all I know about her. Um, And she walks up to me and she goes, you have a baby sister. And I was like, that I do. And she was like, I saw a picture of her on Instagram. I was like, cool. She was like, but don't you have two moms? I was like, yes, I do. And she was like, how did it happen? And I was like, uh, and that was the first time I had gotten like an explicit, your mother's sex lives question. I was just kind of like, 
I'm really uncomfortable right now. And I was with one of my friends who is very good at taking weird questions and making them funny. And he goes, yep, pretty much. And we both just walked away. It's gotten to the point where I just think it's funny and I, I find humor in it because otherwise I would just be mad all the time. And so, you know, if someone says, oh, where did your baby sister come from? Target. We, we found her on the shelf. It was by the cereal. Or like, oh, wait, how did, how did that happen? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, imagine a turkey baster. It makes people super uncomfortable. Or when people are like, wait, but you have two moms. Like, I don't understand how that happened. I'm like, well, what position were your parents in when you were, when you were conceived? And people's like, their eyes get really big and their face go white and then they just walk away. I'm like, bye. Um, and so I've just gotten to a place where I do find humor in the whole, it's just like, it's the, it's the way that I deal with it. So I think when my parents first got divorced, I was, I mean, I was mad at them a little bit. I didn't know how to answer the questions. I didn't know how to address just even the questions about divorce. And as, you know, my mom got married and then Vivian, these, I mean, the questions became more and more frequent and more and more personal. I think for someone who has questions, it's not a bad thing to be curious. You know, I mean, we're all curious about things we don't know about. Um, I would say first ask the person if they're okay answering questions. Be like, hey, can I ask you about your family? Like that feels awkward, but that person will appreciate it. Shout out to Julia because the way she handled it was pretty incredible, right? I mean, for to think about being a kid in school and these kids coming up and asking questions that are really, really inappropriate, like very personal questions. And then just, and, and it's, and we're not even talking about friends, people who are friends of hers. These are people that she just knew in passing. She said one girl she knew from Instagram and the girl walks up and was like, you have a baby sister. How did that happen? <laughs> like we've done other stories where we talk about it's important to have a place where kids can ask questions and yeah. they can be curious and they can, you know, want to explore things. But this is like, <laughs> this is a bit much. I feel like it's different when kids are in a peer group with each other yeah. and their questions are actually kind of badgering <laughs> and just straight up again, inappropriate and also just odd. Yeah. But one of the things that I, I really appreciated about Julia is that I feel like when I was a teen, if people, if I was constantly subject to questioning like that, I would probably have cowered yeah. a little bit and yeah. I would have shrunk myself. I would have avoided it. I maybe would have bought into some of it. Yeah. And I just was like, this kid is a badass because she mm. is not backing down and right. she, she gets it. She understands that these questions are not okay. And she understands that the problem isn't her and her family. It's these other kids and I just think that's so amazing to see in a young person and yeah. like props to her parents for instilling that in her. I think we do have to give credit to our parents because you're like, how does this kid know how to be this way and know yeah. how to answer in this way and to use humor and to just, I think that you're right. I think most people would be, would have coward because this is, I mean, to be hearing this from kids as a kid, she just handled it so well. And I think you're right. Maybe that's about her parents and her parents you know, having conversations with her and saying, this is, we're still a family. With her story, it made me think about times when I was in middle school and elementary school when I actually, I remember seeing kids with same-sex parents, mm -hmm. with gay parents or lesbian parents. I remember seeing them really viciously teased for having mm -hmm. two same-sex parents. And I remember one instance in which there was this girl I went to school with and, and she had two moms. And I remember this kid who was, he was just kind of like a relentless bully at all times oh. to everyone anyways. So everybody was just very over it with him. And I just remember one day she had had it and the other <laughs> girls in the class had had it with him. Oh and even though I think we were in like fifth grade at the time, just 
couldn't even articulate like why we had had it with him. Um, but I just remember we like, he was like cornered in a hallway or something oh, and got a, got a, a mouthful about why everybody was just so wow. done with him being yeah. such a jerk right. at all times. But right. I remember his family was actually okay with it when it, oh. when it got back to his family. See, they were, they see, were okay. That's, that's the problem. Well, no, no, no. They were okay with oh. the girls oh. confronting him. Oh, well, they were okay with him. Good. They were okay with people confronting him about it and telling him it wasn't okay. Good. Which makes me think about how people are in some ways kids are so melded into their views by the adults around them, which I think, you know, perhaps from Julia's background, one of the reasons why she was so upfront about her family Mm. is because, you know, that's kind of learned. And then, and I, and it just made me think that especially the next story we're going to talk about, it seems like kids really do absorb a lot of the views of the adults around them. (laughs) Right. Well, and with that, let's go to that next story. So the next story is Kathy. Right. So I, I guess it was maybe 2006. My daughter was first grade or so. We lived in Long Island. We had a house there. We had an apartment also in the city, but mostly we lived in our house. Uh, what we sent you to school in the West Village. So we used to make a, a exceptional uh, plans to do play dates and that stuff because she couldn't do the after school playing time with the kids generally. So this one weekend we had all her little girlfriends come and sleep over. And she was very excited and we had, you know, air mattresses everywhere and all this crazy foods that they like to eat. And we made them uh, smoothie margaritas and plastic glasses with sugar on the sides. And they were all very excited, having cocktails with each other and all of that stuff. It was very lovely. We get to the house. We walk in and her friend Sophie proceeds to take all her clothes off. So I called her father. And I told him what was going on and I just felt, I told him, I don't have an issue with it, but I think that you should know that Sophie's done this. So he said, well, you know, try to ask her why, but um, he thought, and he wound up to be right, that it was because she lives with all men. Her, she had two dads and she had uh, a little brother. So I asked Sophie and she says, I'm here with all girls and I feel so free. So I just want to be free. I'm like, well, you go girl, you be free. She spent the most of the time without her clothes on. So they start this conversation about religion. And I have to remind myself that it is a table full of six, some of them are seven year olds um, because the conversation was pretty adult for this age group of kids. And this one is Jewish and that one doesn't believe in anything. And this one was Christian. And Jackie didn't know what my daughter, Jackie, didn't know who to answer, what to answer, because we're somewhat Christian, but, you know, we're not extremely religious and everything. Okay, so they got over that and they laughed about how different the table was full of you know different kinds of religions. And uh, one of the little girls, Julietta, I think it was, she goes, what about parents? What kind of parents do you have? I was adopted. I have a mommy and a daddy. And Jackie's friend, Sophie, the naked girl. I have two dads, Jackie. I have two moms. This other little girl at the table says, my parents are divorced. I only live with my mom and so on and so forth around the table. I was amazed at this conversation. It proved to me that if you give children the bandwidth, to explore themselves and you don't restrict them with all these rules around who you're supposed to be, that, that the options are limitless. The conversation went on to discuss whether or not 
they felt one way or another because they didn't have whatever it was in their family's dynamic that they were missing. And the outcome was uh, the girls came to this conclusion, again, seven and eight-year-olds, that as long as they have love, it doesn't matter. I, first of all, I cried, of course. But second of all, I was just so taken with the idea that these kids were so free. So the girls get ready to leave and we take everybody home because of course, because we live on Long Island, we have to drive everybody back into the city. Most of them lived in the West Village area. So after we dropped them off, we were on our way home and Jackie, our daughter says to me, mom, I have a question for you. I was like, all right, sweetheart, you know, do my best to answer whatever. She says, mom, Sophie has two daddies and Clara's parents are divorced and I have two mommies and I understand Sophie had a surrogate mom and I know what that is, which was pretty amazing to me considering her age. But how did cousin Larry get here? And I was like, what do you mean? Well, he has a mom and a dad who are not divorced. So how did he, I was like, oh boy. And it's our first story about the stork. <laughs> so I explained to her in very clinical terms how, you know, natural, we'll call it, conception happens. And she looked at me, she says, Mommy, that's disgusting. I'm never going to do that. So after I got over the initial laugh, I told her, come back when it's not disgusting anymore and we'll talk about it all over again. And she has since then, of course. <laughs> I, I love the story because it's just like, first of all, who are these kids? Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, they take on what they are taught. They take it on. And so you, you have to see what's happening with these, this group of kids. Like they must have come from very well-adjusted parents yeah. that let them ask questions, that told them things, that let them explore and get curious. Yeah. And it's so crazy to me. Yeah. I feel like it kind of drives home just how crucial it can be. Like how kids, you know, the social dynamics that they learn and witness and the values that they witness, oftentimes they perpetuate yeah. a lot of those values as well. And yeah, I mean, what a moment to just be overhearing a conversation where these kids, what great common sense. It's like you just right. think about it and you're like, well, damn, I wish that other adults actually were thinking in that way, too. There was a piece of the story where I think Kathy mentioned that also they were talking about kind of extreme religious views and their yeah. own religious views oh, yeah, that's right. and discriminatory religious views and just so smart and emotionally intelligent of these kids to also be able to identify how being discriminatory because of your religion is hurtful and harmful yeah. and just how amazing to have a group of kids that are so perceptive in that way. Yeah, I think it was the fake cocktails that she gave. Oh, yes, I think, that's I right. I think that's when really up their I, game. I also love that piece of the story. <laughs> Where they're just like the sitting around yeah. with like, like, you know, little martini glasses being like, like fake little cocktails talking about some really adult you know, themes yeah, here. Yeah. And for them to know this at six and seven, it just makes me wonder, what are they like now? Like, what are yeah. they, what are these kids like now? And, and, and they're, if this is where they started. Like, yeah. what kind of adults came out of those conversations? That's, that's pretty incredible. Do you remember when you first learned about LGBTQ people? Like, did you know, did you have friends who had parents who were LGBTQ? Mm. Do you remember when you learned about it? Do you remember what you were taught about it? No, you know, I, I felt like I learned about it way, way later than I wish I had, first of all. And it was not really with parents uh, of friends. It was friends themselves. Yeah. And it was, to me, it was just like, okay. I mean, I was good. You know, I was, I was totally fine. And I remember, <laughs> I will say this, though. I remember being like, maybe I, you know, we talked about compartmentalization a little bit in, in another episode. But maybe I 
was also doing that because I think people were like waiting for me to come out. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like, just, I don't know what you mean. Right. So I feel like my, I, I wish I had more exposure to it yeah. than I did. You know, I, I had a friend here, a friend there, and it wasn't necessarily appreciated or, or, or you know, something that people were supportive of at that time. Yeah. But I wish I wish I had more. I wish I had more people. And I think this is what we talk about all the time. We talk about visibility and how important it is. Yeah. Because it's sometimes it prods you to be like, wait a minute, it's not me. Hang on. <laughs> wait, <laughs> hang on. Hello? <laughs> like you're just like, is that me? You know what yeah, I'm saying, right? Like, yes, I know exactly. Yes, what you're saying. it's like you see it, and you're just like, because I mean, I think that you know, it, it's weird how that works. It really yeah. there's some part of you that wakes up. I, I think I love that idea of like how it wakes up a part of you because yeah. I think that's so true. But then also one of the things that you said is you use the word having an appreciation for these people who would yeah. be in one's life, and I think. For me, I knew I have two aunts who are lesbians and they really central story in my family is about how, you know, when they came out, it was really difficult to mm. come out as a lesbian. It really, I think I didn't have an appreciation for it as a kid. You know, of course you're a kid, but now I think about, oh my goodness, right. how important that was, how formative it was for me to also just to be exposed to gay people from such a young age. Right. But yeah, I think at the time it was just very much a part of my world. And I knew other kids who had parents who were in same sex relationships. So it was seen in my circle. It was just seen as like everyday regular, like but I, yes, but yeah. I don't think that I had the appreciation for it that right. piece that you kind of mentioned. And so I don't know, like these kids, if I was having these, you know, highfalutin conversations, <laughs> definitely wasn't drinking a mocktail. <laughs> Wish I was, but. You weren't bringing a mocktail yeah. six or seven? Yeah. Really? <laughs> What's going on with your parents? Yeah. <laughs> what were they thinking? Yeah. But, but yeah, no, I think that that's, it's, yeah, it's amazing now. I guess kids have that that ability to wake up because they get to see so much yeah. more. They're exposed to so much more information Thank and goodness for that. internet I mean, and so, everything. So. I mean, that is so awesome. Was having your aunts, like having your, your two aunts that, you know, that were a lesbian couple, was there any part of that that unlocked yeah. something for you? I think for me, I knew it was like a possibility, but actually the bigger narrative in my family, the story that my family always told was just how it like could be upsetting or how it could be disruptive to your life if you came out, how much my aunt had to sacrifice, wow. how difficult it was. That was always the story. It was never, ever the one I think that I I would see it as, which is like how amazing that she self-actualized and decided to take this huge risk to live mm. her life as who she was. She could have gone on and remained closeted. And right. so I see it as like this extremely admirable story actually about self-actualization. But the, the story that my family told growing up <laughs> right. was different. Right. And I think that's obviously aligned with like homophobia and mm. just how social values have changed over time. Right. So I don't even know. If I, I think the what I internalized was like, if this is your life path, it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's gonna be I mean, that's tough. like that's I mean, yeah. so that's intense because that's like, you know, you're you it could have gone either way. Right. But it went that way. And so, of course, that you're going to be like, OK, but maybe I don't want to I don't want to travel that road. Like yeah. some, that sounds like not fun. Yeah. Like, there's I, nothing fun about that. I also think so much has changed. Like, I think thanks to the internet, so much has changed. And because I wasn't presented so many different options of being LGBTQ, because that was the one example I had and it didn't exactly fit for me, mm -hmm. I don't think that I identified right. with it in that way. That makes sense. So, that makes yeah. sense. Actually, you make a good point. That's a really good point. This is again why we get, you gotta, we have to have as many shades 
as many yeah. colors. We need as many people to be like out and doing their thing because you just don't know who you're, you know, who, who's seeing you. And it's like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I, I see myself in that. I think if someone were in my position, but you know, maybe me six years ago, or even me like three or four years ago, I would want them to know you're gonna get questions. Some of them are gonna be super awkward and super weird. Just expect that. Um, just like learn to learn how to answer them, learn what you're comfortable with. Don't think that your family is less of a family because of the structure or the dynamic there. You know, it's still a family, it still works the same way. We still get up and eat breakfast and scream at each other and go to school and, you know, eat dinner, go to sleep, repeat. It's this, I mean, it's the same basic thing. There's just a lot of boobs. When I look back on the story, I really see how well all the parents of all these kids did in giving their children diversity. Um, and the idea that what most of society considers the norm was no more important than the other uh, different types of families to me, it was beautiful and amazing, and I wish that all families could be that way. Do you interact with any kids on a regular basis? I don't. Um, I think, you know, I have a nephew, and he's, he's 20, so I wouldn't call him a kid, but I don't. I actually don't interact with kids very often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have two, I have two nieces. I have a, a niece who's 17, and I have a niece who's seven, and I one of the things that we've been trying to be intentional about is just again being like upfront with those questions about sexual orientation and gender identity and just having them those conversations from like a very young age and just being upfront with it all i feel like so that our niece has information mm -hmm. i feel like more often like she has more information than us at this point in her life because she's a teen <laughs> like we're she's just like, not cool she's like all. you're behind the time yes a million trillion <laughs> right. bazillion she's percent like, i don't want we're your so own not cool. so she's yeah. like i don't want your own <laughs> yeah yeah now she's like on tiktok everything is explained on tiktok like right. i you know right. i feel like you can find out you can go into whatever piece of queerness you want to go into it's all on tiktok but it just made me think, I feel like it, it can be so important just to have, be honest with kids about yeah. what's going on and yeah. to have those conversations. Cause then, you know, then they can sit around with their mocktails and <laughs> just be saying really lovely things. I feel like the mocktails have come out to be the, the huge piece of this, this story, the mocktails yeah. and saying lovely things. I love it. That's it. That's, that, <laughs> Big that margaritas and lovely things. Driftwood Podcast is hosted by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne and Alex Berg, and is produced by Andy Egan Thorpe. It's recorded as a program of I'm From Driftwood, the LGBTQAI plus story archive. Its mission is to send a life-saving message to queer and trans people everywhere. You are not alone. I'm From Driftwood's founder and executive director is Nathan Mansky. Its program director is Damian Middlefeld. Our score is provided by Elevate Audio. The stories you heard today are available in their entirety, plus thousands more at imfromdriftwood.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Additional funding is provided by the Humanities New York Sharp Grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal American Rescue Plan Act. Thanks for listening, y'all.